Welcome back to another episode of Mastering Metail from our APAC Masterclass series brought to you by Flywheel Digital. My name is Emma Irwin and I'm your host for the series and I am a senior editor and specialist at Flywheel. Today, we're going to be covering the data infrastructure, looking specifically at China. The data infrastructure, what does that mean? Don't worry, I've got you covered in this episode. You'll learn what the data infrastructure is and we'll break down how the three tiers of data, first, second, and third, compare and contrast between China and the West, followed by our guests' key points for enterprise brands to consider when operating e-commerce businesses in China. But first, let's meet our guest. My name is Tony and uh, I'm the founder of Yimian and now I'm working as the uh, chief product officer of Flywheel in the Asia Pacific region. Interesting, I didn't know that. Tell me about Yimian. We haven't heard Yimian on this podcast. Well, this is a company that I started back in the 2014. And what we do is to help consumer product brands um, to actually do measurement and benchmarking in the e-commerce space. Basically, we provide them um, market share of the each of the category to see what's trending. And we do shelf measurements so that we make sure everything's in line and their their products have been priced right and they're put on the you know right place of the shelf. And then we also do consumer voice analytics so that they will know the feedbacks and the pain points and what the consumers love about their products. So that's basically our business model. And you're working with Chinese brands on Chinese marketplaces. Well, that's a very good question. Um, <laughs> surprisingly, I don't know, <laughs> like ninety percent of our customers are Western, the multinational brands. Those are based still, I guess, dominators of the China consumer markets. So, and they are more data-driven so that they have a huge need for someone, a good partner, help them to understand Chinese markets, marketplaces, and Chinese consumers. Next up are recurring questions. As you've probably already noticed, I need to ask each of these guests where they actually do most of their online shopping before we can actually figure out what the last things they've purchased are. Where do you most commonly shop online? Ah, <laughs> I used to uh, use JD a lot, which is, uh, I, I guess, uh, pretty similar to Amazon. And, you know, everything is, well, in good quality and uh, logistic. Uh, the parcel delivery is, is super fast. But but now, well, in the past, like uh, one or two years, I start to actually uh, TikTok change everything. I, I start to like spend tons of hours browsing through random videos. And then uh, all of a sudden, well, there's a rush. I, I want to, you know, just, you know, buy the thing when I want to see some, something cool in the video. And um, yeah, I, I, I my uh, snowboarding gloves on TikTok and I bought my cargo on TikTok and I sometimes the clothes, yeah. That's interesting. What is the actual last thing you bought off of there? Huh, the snowboarding cargo that I mentioned. Yeah, Got just it. Just a couple months back. And now, the data infrastructure. So what does that term actually mean? Yeah, I know that term sounds a bit technical. And uh, when, you know, a couple of decades ago, when people start, you know, doing consumer products and create products and design what's for the consumers, well, it really depends on the knowledge and the creativity of the product managers. But after a few years, then um, actually people start to find out uh, there are a lot of things in the world that they can quantify in terms of data. And uh, just like I mentioned, the share of the market, where the market's going and what the consumers like. And there are like uh, more and more data, especially in the last, you know, two decades. And we see the digitalization 
of our you know whole world. And more and more things are online on our mobile phones, and more and more things can be quantified and digitalized, and all the footprints. And then, well, it completely changed the way that the manufacturers act how to define and design their new products, and how to actually push it to market, and how to actually sell it to the channels. So now people are making decisions in a different way. Comparing to like a couple of decades ago, people really need data to make decisions and to help them to figure out what to do next and to identify opportunities and risks. And they also become a language for departments to talk to each other within a huge organization. And then there comes data infrastructure. Yeah, so basically, these are the you know foundation for any manufacturers in the world, not only in China but everywhere in the world, to make decisions, to communicate, and to drive insights, and to actually know where they're going. Perfect. And so, per your notes, we're categorizing the data infrastructure kind of into three different tiers. So, I'd love for you to tell me about these three different tiers. And I'll have you know the way you wrote this. This is one of the first times I've ever seen first party, second party, and third data written out in a way that makes sense. So, I'd love for you to share that、yeah. with the podcast. Basically, well, this is I guess almost all the people in the industry how to categorize them in China.、Uh, I'm not sure if exactly the same in the West, but I'll try to explain it. Well, the first part of data is very you know intuitive, right? It's just data that a manufacturer own themselves. For example, if you、uh, you know have a direct to consumer channels and you have your brand.com official website, and when people you know browse your website, when people put a you know order through the D to C channels, and then you know. Who's browsing, and you know what kind of products people purchase, and you know where to deliver the parcel to whenever you receive a order. So those data are usually stays in the OMS, the order management system, or CRM. And then, but now、uh, more and more people are actually you know deep diving into the first party data that's been sleeping in the IT systems, and then drive insights and to、um, uh, understand their、uh, business and consumers. So these are you know we, we what we call the far the first party data, the data that owned by a manufacturer, and second party. Data. Well, I guess this is the、um, very powerful stuff, which means data and the consumer footprints that happened in a retailer or a marketplace or an e-commerce platform. For example, people have different ways to open up their data in a way that is、uh, legal. Actually,、uh, censor all the you know personal informations and make sure no there is no privacy issue on the data that can be used. So, for example. Amazon, you know, share their、uh, second-party data to the brands in all kinds of ways. We have、uh, ARA, and we used to have AMS,、uh, and of course, the、uh, Rockstar in the home, the AMC、uh, that is, you know,、uh, launched last year. And in China, we have、uh, the retailers have different, you know,、uh, systems, but the mindsets and methodologies are similar. The the the, the platforms, the marketplaces want to share as much data. To the brands as possible, so that they can understand what's going on with their business on the retailer, so that they are confident to invest more in media and to、uh, in the listings and in the PDPs, and so that to drive higher sales and spending in the, in the platform, and then have higher、uh, ROI and ROAS or whatever metrics they are using. So it, it's you know to everybody's benefits that the, the platform opened up. Data to the brands, the brands invest more and understands more, and it will be a very positive flywheel there. Love it, flywheel. <laughs> yeah, 
And then there is third-party data. Well, third-party data is not as straightforward as the first two, but um, I'll try to explain it. Third-party data we often refer to means the data there are from the open domain, the public data, which can be monitored, can be uh, you know sampled. For example, um, very traditionally. Nielsen data, Nielsen panels and questionnaires, those are categorized as third-party data. And while in a modern digitalized world, well, the you know, everything that you can see and visualize on the PDP page, on, on, on the browser, on the phone, those are third-party data. And there are like um, technology we can automatically track what's happening on the public uh, end of the list. For example, how many you know uh, new listings are available on Amazon or well in China, in Timo and JD. And um, for example, what is the, uh, when you type in search certain you know keywords into the search bar, then what will be the search ranks of the products uh, that show up on your screen. And then these are the actually very valuable market intelligence that can help uh, the brands a lot to make decisions. So this is also what Emian are very good at. We help our customers to actually, um, you know, collect all the public intels from the retailers. We kind of collect like the over 10 million PDP pages on a daily basis. So That's that, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. So that will help them figure out like uh, how the products are priced and what's the depth of the promotion and discounts. Also, how many new uh, user reviews, consumer um, reviews are generated. One example is we, we've been working with um, very famous uh, worldwide manufacturers on the FMCG sector and uh, for eight years on the consumer review analysis. All these are come from the public uh, reviews that people post on marketplaces like Timo and JD and TikTok in China. Well, you can imagine we actually collect over 10 billion entries of consumer review on a yearly basis. And so many. Yeah, this, I, I guess it's the only way to use technology and uh, to use the data technology to help them to collect that kind of intelligence and process it, analyze it so that they can actually have a holistic view on how actually people think about their products, why they love it, why they hate it, why they purchase it over their competition's product and, or vice versa. So now you've got an understanding of the foundations of the data infrastructure, and some of this has probably sounded familiar, but of course, we need to clarify further. So let's cover how each of these three tiers of data looks when comparing China to the West. First up, first-party data. That's really the thing that interests me the most in the you know past few years. I worked for China for so long, and uh, well, now I get a, a better learning of the Western ones. So I... To, to my understanding, the uh, well, let, let's talk about the first-party data then. Well, I guess that this ecosystem is completely different. Well, in the in the West, I know people pay attention and do invest into their brand.com channels. They're the channels that they own. Some people call it D2C, and some some people call it other terms, so that they will have a you know direct in interaction with the with the consumers. But for in China, the first-party data is pretty scarce, mainly because people are not you know paying too much attention into the building their own channels there are like tons of reasons for that I'm probably I, I won't you know run into the details of this but like 99% of the e-commerce sales in China happens in the marketplaces retailers like Timo and JD Pinduoduo and TikTok so if people are, don't have their D2C channels invested so much 
then there won't be too many, well, too much first-party data to be analyzed in any way. So that's different. And but for the you know Western ecosystem, we know you know there are like uh, tools uh, like Google Analytics and also Heap Analytics and also different you know ways that you can actually analyze what's happening on your own channels, the uh, upper funnel and the conversions and all the consumer and the, and CRM and you can do all all kinds of cool anal analytics. You can build RFM models over the first party data. So that's a you know thing that we uh, don't have in China. That's really interesting. And I feel it, like over here, we talk about how, you know, that first party data is like golden. That's what everybody wants to collect and whatnot. So it's interesting when you're talking about in China, like that just doesn't really. Yeah, well, well, I guess in, in China, people still love it, but it's, you know, it's a huge investment to build their own channels. And I, I don't see too many brands succeed in that space. So I guess uh, over time, even though it's like uh, something you want is so bad, but it doesn't make it true. Moving on to second-party data similarities and or differences. Well, the second party, I guess it's similar and different at the same time. It's not like the first party is completely different. Well, I guess one thing that we know is Western retailers and marketplaces are more advanced in opening up APIs to partners, to the brands and, and to the people working in the space. On the contrary, the China, the Chinese marketplaces prefer to build interfaces and the data products themselves, and then you know open that up to the you know people use it. But they won't really open up too much APIs in terms of you know their uh, proprietary data. I I can well I have a few you know guesses on the, the reason why that that is you know we see what we see now. First reason I guess is because the uh, Digitalization, actually, the West is, you know, ahead of uh, the East. If you look at the, you know, the revenue of the software as a service companies, their uh, company valuations and how much IT budget that each company uh, spend on an annual basis, that's, you know, definitely much more than, than China. So that, you know, if like I can only imagine Amazon open up APIs or uh, like products like AMC that you can allow you to run queries yourself, then uh, there will be like tons of you know people, um, talents, and also infrastructures being built around that ecosystem. But for you know uh, uh, China, although I I would believe we have the most advanced the uh, retailer uh, ecosystems in the world because like so many things are built around the marketplaces, the, the social medias, and the uh, upper funnel uh, channels, and also the um, you know the sophisticated way that we play as a media on the retailers. However, that doesn't mean you know we have a very you know um, a, a great setup of uh, APIs. So the reason, well, probably. There are like less investment in the digitization tools and software, but there are like more investment in uh, people and people working on the product. So basically, when Alibaba launches data bank or strategy center, those kind of uh, you know second party data tools, and we see uh, independent service providers that have like um, over hundreds of people just working on Alibaba's data platform eight hours a day to drive insights and to actually do analytics and do all kinds of magic there. But um, they don't get right queries and APIs and tap, tap into the platforms. Yeah. And the other reason probably I can think of is in China, it's more wallet gardens uh, in terms of the um, 
e-commerce, digital commerce ecosystem. We have like Alibaba ecosystem. We have a Tmall and we have a Chinese version of YouTube owned by Alibaba. Uh, we have Chinese version of uh, Twitter owned by Alibaba. And so that they actually, it's pretty cool that you can connect all the data within the ecosystem. It's in no, it's not in Alibaba's intention to actually share that with anyone outside the Walled Garden. Well, it's not like the West. Everyone needs to share to define protocols and share data with everyone that Google, Amazon, Facebook, they're all, you know, um, have a exchange like a mechanism so that we all can, you know, have a more complete consumer journey uh, map out there. But in China, we have a few very big ecosystems and everything flows inside the ecosystems. So then that gives, you know, uh, the retailers one less reason to build APIs because it doesn't need to really exchange anything with the outside world. Do the Western brands that you're working with find that frustrating or like, do you find yourself having to explain kind of that setup often? Well, I, well, I think they're, since they're, they've, they've been, you know, in China for so many years, uh, Procter Gamble, Mars, Unilever, uh, well, those brands start to work, you know, in China, like 30, uh, even 40 years ago. So I guess it, it doesn't, well, they, they know China well. And um, they know there are like they know like there are like differences between the eastern and the west. What they actually you know try to figure out is like how to win in the ecosystem like that uh, the wooded garden uh, system. So they, yeah, they they need help. They need people are good at Timo, good at JD, and good at you know data bank and all those data products. But well, I guess they are well aware the differences between you know the uh, east and the west. And last up. Third-party data. This will be the very similar, well, if you compare East to the West, I would say it's almost identical. I mean, Edge first invented the digital shelf concept. We have, you know, this 6P model. It works for uh, Amazon. It works for Walmart and Target in the West. Surprisingly, it works pretty well for Chinese retailers like Timo and JD and TikTok. And also it's, you know, the, the very important metrics that people track on a daily basis so that they can audit the performance of their, well, their, uh, the, the partners, the trade partners that are, that they are working with, the media agencies they are working with, and the, you know, the channels and retailers they are working with. And also, well, although we have very different ways to build up a market share product and to provide it to the, to our customers, however, the market shares uh, one of the most important third-party data that no one can live without if you want to, you know, run a legit business on a digital commerce world. Yeah, so so I guess uh, the third-party data world is almost, well, it's not almost, it's definitely the um, uh, most similar one uh, between the East and the West. We use the same technology to collect data. We use the same technology to process data, and we even have the same set of metrics that we measure the successfulness of the business. So Tony has mentioned AMC and, for example, Alibaba's reluctancy in this regard. And we know how powerful and important AMC has the potential to be from some of the other episodes of Mastering Metail. Psst, BS, go check those out. So I asked Tony if he thought there would ever be such thing as the Alibaba MC, especially if undeniably impactful results come out of Amazon allowing access to their MC or marketing cloud. 
there's one very uh, interesting story to uh, uh, share. Is actually Alibaba used to have a pretty similar concept test out like six years ago. They call it Yushanfang in in Chinese. If you uh, translate to English very directly, it means the uh, you know kitchen for the king for the emperor. So basically, you can <laughs> cook awesome. up. You can cook up all kinds of uh, cool stuff there because you got all the resource in the world, all the materials, and then you can play your magic. It's just uh, very cool. However, it's actually, you know, back then, I do know there are a few, you know, very early adopters going to the space working on the uh, the royal kitchen. But that, that doesn't turn out to be a, to be a, to be a success. Uh, Alibaba back then, they, well, I think one issue that made it not they made them not continue to actually upgrade and invest into this product it's uh, data privacy because it's early ages and it's pretty hard for alibaba to actually to set very clear and rigorous rules on what people can access through the amc like product and what people cannot access will be the uh, authorization levels and also how to protect the um, privacy and confidentiality, but of the retailers or even the consumers. So back then, I, I guess a few very big brands uh, filed like formal complaints on Alibaba, and then we then and Alibaba identified that like there are like people abusing the rules of the platforms, trying to do something fishy. For example, targeting your direct competition's audience because you can actually extract them through the uh, yeah a more programmable um, space. So that they made a decision to actually take offline and then launched data bank, which is, is more restricted, more protected, but still with less flexibility uh, type of uh, product. You can only do what is provided with the you know user interfaces that actually have better governance in terms of you know privacy and uh, security of the data. However, you lose the uh, you know uh, creativity and imagination of of that. Now you have a solid understanding of not only the three tiers of the data infrastructure, but also how they compare to the same tiers in the West. That's all where we are now. But where are we going? People are, will actually move big chunk of uh, data operations from now they're using third-party providers to do it and move it in-house. We actually, we, we used to work with a um, you know, very big uh, leading brand in the baby industry. And um, we've been working with them for a few years uh, now. And at the very beginning, they what, what they need are reports. If we provide them with a uh, software as a service, we provide them with uh, you know charts and metrics and dashboards. They well, the thing they are telling us is that well, I'm super busy and your product is pretty complex, and I, I don't have time have time for that. Why not? I just pay you for a contractor, and then you let that person stay on the platform 24-7, write me uh, reports and all the insights and action points in it, just give me a presentation and I don't know what, I don't know what to do. And now it's more like they have their, every brand have their uh, in-house data scientists, they have their in-house insight managers who are very fluent with the data. They work on the platforms a lot more, uh, they, they are spending a lot more time comparing to before. And then I, I think this will lead us to the next phase, which is actually we, we've already seen some early trends of this. As people start to talk about, well, we don't really you know, need your product. We can actually build that in-house, but we need your data. 
as long as you can actually have the clean data, very high quality data, just uh, flow into our own data warehouse, data lake, or data you know lake house, whatever you know people are building, then um, yeah, that will be you know the way to work with the brands. I, I guess in China in the future, they're what they're asking has been you know evolving so much. And the second guess is, is that infrastructure, well, the technology infrastructure that powers the whole data operations will be, be will become more and more important. Like five years ago, if I tell the people in the brand side, no, no matter it will be when I talk to the CMI, I talk to the IT team, or even talk to the e-commerce team that, well, we have a very cool you know system that can help you process your data to do data cleansings, transformations, and you can, you know, store it in a very structured way so that it can make it available to everyone, you know, in different roles in the organization. No one will be interested in that because they're not actually spending money building their own, but actually they rely on, you know, third-party tools and, you know, uh, data sources, vendors to actually do that for them. Now, I, I guess, well, in the next five years, I would say the leading brands, every single one of them will have their own data lake. There will be a strong needs of aggregating data sources from different partners and then actually do the processing and drive insights and dashboarding in-house. There's a very early indicator is that if you look at the uh, um, recruitment websites, you can see what kind of people that, that you know the, the, the brands are hiring. Those are you know data experts, the people, the software engineers that help them to build data platforms and they have database experts and they have engineers that are working on the user user experience design, the front end engineers that can, you know, help them to actually do the presentation layer better. So I guess there are huge opportunity in that space if we uh let's say could be one of the companies that can help them build their own uh, data platforms. I guess that's in my opinion definitely gonna happen. So you're, you're prepared. You're ready to take Yimian wherever it needs to go to provide what's needed. Yeah, it's the next gold mine. And with that, before you go into information overload mode, we can really wrap things up here. You've learned about the three tiers that make up the data infrastructure in China, how these compare and contrast to the West, how fluent brands operating in the Chinese ecosystem are with this data, plus some real-life examples of putting the data to work, and you have Tony's predictions on where the future is headed. Phew! Of course, before we said goodbye, I had to ask Tony about what was on his digital wish list. Hmm. <laughs> I will purchase. I won't purchase. Something that like maybe you'll purchase it someday, but like it just has sat in your cart for much longer than anything else. Oh, man. Like 90% of the stuff that I bought on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can think of a few. I still have a box of toys from the Japanese anime sitting in my back up my car for over over two years now but still i still probably you know if i see one on tiktok probably i'll buy it again but still <laughs> i i know that i sh really shouldn't incredible and that wraps up a bit, a bit of a long i'll acknowledge that but super insightful episode about the data infrastructure in china which has hopefully provided you with the insights needed to begin to understand how the digital commerce ecosystem is set up if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or review and share it with your colleagues. It really helps us out. And be sure to listen to every other episode in our APEC Masterclass Season 2. This episode was produced by Klaus Cancel with sound design by Enos Tenchi. I've been your host, Emma Irwin, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>